0: Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. Longtime listeners of this podcast know that I love learning about hidden systems that make everyday life possible. We've talked on this show about where recycling goes, how wastewater is purified, and what happens to river water before you can drink it from your faucet. Today, we're tackling another important system here in Minnesota, electricity. Reader David Piper wanted to know how electricity is delivered to homes in the metro area and where it's produced. So today, we're talking with Mike Hewlett, who covers energy for the Star Tribune. Mike wrote an in-depth story about this topic for Curious Minnesota in August 2021, which I will link to in the show notes. Well, Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. So I think this is a super interesting topic. It's a complex topic that involves a complex industry, but it also involves our homes and how we turn on light bulbs. And so it's very close to our daily lives in one respect and also happening at a level that we can't even comprehend it <laughs> in another respect. So power generation. So first of all, for people listening to this who might be wondering, well, I wonder where my power comes from before we talk about specific plants tell us a little bit about is there any way to know for sure where your specific power comes from i know this is about electrons and they're kind of hard to it's hard to pin down so how does it work basically
1: Um, Well, that's, yeah, electrons are all sort of dumped on the grid, could be from a solar farm, wind turbine, or a a nuclear plant. And you will get some of your power, at least from the closest power plant to your residence. But at some time or another, you will be getting power coming from all sorts of places on the grid. Very late at night, early morning is kind of a peak time for wind. Mm -hmm. So there are more wind electrons on the grid. There are times during more emergencies where electrons, electricity will be imported into our regional grid from others in, okay. in times of very high demand. So it, it could come from a lot of places, but if you live near relatively near a power plant, it's fair to say you will be getting power from that plant.
0: Right, because, I mean, this is basically about how do electrons flow onto the grid. It, it's hard to sort of gauge exactly where they're going to go, but we know that if they're coming closer from you, that's more likely where that generation source is going to right. be, at least part of it. Right. But you're going to get a mixture, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so with Xcel Energy, that's our main power utility in the state and also supplying the Twin Cities. So what are their primary plants? What is sort of the workhorse of Xcel Energy's power portfolio, if you will?
1: Well, historically, the largest, the workhorse has been three large coal generators in Becker and another fairly large coal generator in Oak Park Heights, and then two nuclear sites, a nuclear reactor in, in Monticello and two nuclear reactors near Red Wing. That has been their historic largest sources of power. Now, gas. There are also uh, a half dozen natural gas plants that have become more important over the last ten to fifteen years. Gas has become much more a part of their mix. And then also, Excel is one of the leading purchasers of wind power and producers of wind power in the country. So a large part, uh, over twenty percent of their their mix comes from wind farms. Okay. And and a smaller amount, maybe three percent or so now from solar.
0: So nuclear and coal are still sort of the big dogs of the system then to some degree?
1: Uh, yes, and gas. I mean gas has become much more important.
0: So in the Twin Cities, like we have a map that I'll link to in the show notes, but there's gas plants like Highbridge in St. Paul and Riverside in yeah. Minneapolis, so those would be sort of more close to the Right, and the,
1: the the those, those, are the more, those are the traditional those plants date back a long time. They're, they were the original plants really that were the primary power providers for St. Paul and Minneapolis. And they, and they were had, coal. They were coal. And, and Excel switched uh, a lot of smaller coal uh, assets to gas over the last 15 years or so. And so,
0: you know, you've toured a number of these plants. I mean, for people wondering what it's like to be in a nuclear plant versus a coal plant versus a gas plant, I mean, is there pretty obvious differences, would you say?
1: A nuclear plant is the most complex, and it has the most people. You'll I mean, you'll have 500 people employed at a nuclear plant. You may have only a couple hundred at a very large coal facility, far less than that at, at even a large gas facility. Nuclear plant is, I mean, one of the things you'll notice when you first go in is that there are security guards with semi-automatic rifles because mm-hmm. uh, of the security risks of a nuclear plant
0: and so when these when the electricity is leaving the plant it's not quite the same as when it gets to our house so we have to talk about voltage so in the story you described it as voltage is sort of like the water pressure of electricity maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit and how it kind of changes over the course of its travel
1: voltage is what's pushing the current through the wires and when it comes electricity comes out out of the plant, the, the voltage is high. I mean- mm-hmm. uh, Hundreds uh, of thousands uh, of yes, volts. Yes, yes. Right. And it's basically stepped down between when it leaves the power plant to get to your house through substations, You know, which you'll see, it could be in your neighborhood to bring it down to that last level right. of 120 volts to go to your house.
0: Yeah, Okay. And so if people are curious about sort of how this is playing out in their own backyard, they could go in their alleyway and check out the transformer that's back there, essentially, right? I mean, because that's where that last step down is typically happening?
1: Yes. Okay.
0: And then you mentioned the story, and this is where sort of as a homeowner, I'm interested, I mean, how basically leaving that transformer, there's two hots that are, I'm just going to describe this whole thing. There's two hot wires and a neutral wire, and basically the hots are on opposite phases of, the alternating current and so in your breaker box basically most breakers that would serve you know some lighting circuit or whatever are going to hook into just one hot wire but then some are going to hook up to both which would be more of a 240 volt thing like a dryer or something like that and then the other thing i thought was interesting from the story was that once it's done once it's all been used then it leaves your house on the neutral wire and uh, heads back to the transformer so it's kind of like this interesting cycle there's a lot going on in your own house's service panel, basically.
1: Yes, there is. <laughs> Just like there is <laughs> for the entire system.
0: Right, right, like right. That. And we skip this step, but I mean, I imagine that the wires and the transmission sort of to get it to your house, I mean, that's a big part of what Excel has to think about, right? Like, is this whole system they have to maintain of the big wires?
1: Well, right. I mean, when you look at it from a utility viewpoint, there are three main investment areas are the generation plants themselves, the transmission lines, and the distribution network, which is the lines that are coming into your house. Mm -hmm. when they go before regulators and ask for rate increases, this is the stuff that they're looking to fund. There is a cry both by the electricity industry and the renewable power advocates for a lot more transmission, and the idea being that because renewables are built out In faraway areas, it's a whole different approach to the power system that we've had for a long time, which is these centralized large plants having wind turbines and solar out in the country while you have to connect them to the grid. And there is an argument that there needs to be more connection. And, of course, power companies also will always argue for more equipment because it gets built into their, their rate base.
0: And then we should talk about the grid because as we've sort of hinted at in this conversation, this whole thing involves a pretty complex balance. Act. And in our region, I mean, so Excel is a part of that, but then MISO is a term we need to get into, which is, it's an acronym. We don't need to get into what MISO stands the Mid-
1: for. Mid-Continent Independent System Operator.
0: Okay. All it right. sounds very technical, yes. but these are the people that keep our lights on basically. So what are they doing at MISO? Because they're super important and you most people have probably never heard of them, but they rely on them every day.
1: MISO is the regional grid. It covers 13 states in the central part of the U.S. from Minnesota on down to uh, Louisiana. And it also includes one Canadian province. It's based in Indiana. It has a, a major operations center here in Egan. And MISO is really the glue that holds things together on two levels. One, power is constantly being bought and sold, bid at a wholesale level. And MISO essentially administers that, but it administers the grid itself. So, right. you know, let's say you have a part of the grid where there's terribly bad weather and supply is cut. Well, that's a could be an emergency for them. But just in every day, every minute, power always needs to be balanced between the generating plants and the load as mm-hmm. the end user, the end demand is called.
0: So MISO is a grid, but it's connected to other grids. So how much is it about sort of managing what's happening within the MISO portion of our national grid versus MISO helping out grid B over here because yeah. they're having some trouble in another region of the United States?
1: It's a good question. MISO covers a lot of ground, so it's mostly balancing within MISO. There's, I mean, Southern MISO and Northern northern MISO, and you could have very different conditions in southern MISO. I mm-hmm. mean, you, know, you could have a hurricane going through Louisiana or whatever, then in northern, and so they can draw off each other. The grids can rely on each other and do in emergencies.
0: And your story mentioned Texas is one Well, Texas,
1: example. yeah, because Texas has its own grid, and Texas does not have the linkages with other grids known as California. And essentially in Texas, you had a situation in 2021 where, you know, you had this Terrible winter storm. It cut off gas supply, and gas is the major fuel for electricity there. Equipment froze off, so the supply of gas went way down. And essentially, well, it's used to create electricity, so Mm -hmm. you had electricity go out. And Texas didn't have the ability to import power, say like might from the SPP grid to the Mm -hmm. west or the uh, PJM grid to the east.
0: Mm -hmm. So these grids are all kind of looking out for each other, theoretically, if they have good ties with each other, kind of.
1: Yes. And and in an emergency, you know, any power is going to cost more. But when it comes right down to uh, having lights on or off, it matters just to have the resilience to be able to import power.
0: Okay, great. Well, Mike, thank you so much. This is some great context about a topic that, again, is both, it's very high level, it's very national, there's a lot of sort of technicalities to it, but it's also very personal, very sort of in our homes. Uh, It's kind of like recycling in a way in the sense that it's connected to something really large. So I really appreciate you sort of shedding some light on it for us. (laughs) Thanks, sir. (laughs) Yeah, that's a pun. I got got that. (laughs) All right, thanks. Alright, folks, that's it for today's show. Now, if you're out there thinking I've got a question they should answer on Curious Minnesota, we want to hear from you. Send us a note at Curious at StarTribune.com. We also appreciate any feedback you have about the show. Send it to the same address, curious at startribune.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis, and our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review.
1: And until next time, stay curious.